I would like to disable my journey to using that word has uh, taken a while. It's an interesting word for me in terms of how I've had to unlearn a lot of Avis's narrative. That is ultimately why I'm in the line of work that I'm in because I think narratives are so pervasive within our culture how we speak about disability. Hi, I'm Brooke Melhouse. Welcome to Disabled and Proud, the podcast that does exactly what it says on the tin. Each week, the show highlights an awesome disabled guest speaking about their own disability, why they're proud to be disabled, and why they're proud to be themselves. Karen, welcome to Disabled and Proud. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. And I I know I say that every single time I do a podcast, but I actually genuinely, I genuinely mean it every time I say it. But this one, I feel like I'm going to learn about something that I don't know anything about. So I love that. Well, I hope I can be um, of help to both you and your uh, audience. <laughs> oh, I love that. So the first question that I ask every single guest on this podcast is, how do you refer to your disability? Um, so I am disabled. I use mm-hmm. that word very, very proudly. I, am, I have cerebral palsy. Um. Uh, before before I go on, I will do a quick audio description. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm a white, uh, brown-haired male with a white t-shirt on and a grey and white overshirt with a white background. And did I say I wear glasses? But anyway, I wear glasses. So uh, <laughs> hopefully uh, that will make uh, some of your audience more included. And... Um, so yeah, I use the word disabled, mm-hmm. and uh, I think my journey to using that word has uh, taken a while. Yeah, but um, it's uh, it's an interesting word for me in terms of how I've had to unlearn a lot of Avis's narratives, and um, yeah. that is ultimately why I'm in the line of work that I'm in because I think narratives are so pervasive within our. Mm-hmm. Um, how we speak about disability and um yes i hope i can engage in some work that uh, starts to right the right the wrongs of the kind of uh representation of disabled people historically yeah. i love what you said about how it uh, using the word disabled proudly has been a journey for you because i think everybody goes on that journey and and actually I'm going to go a bit further and say that I know that everybody does because I've I've had enough of these conversations to know that because of social the way that the social sphere works and, and society we all find the word disabled quite difficult in the beginning because it's seen as this negative bad thing but actually when you can reclaim it and take power over it it becomes the best thing in the world so I really appreciate that you said that you also had a journey to go on to to use that word and and I was wondering if you could tell me a bit more about that journey how did it how did it start really um, I think we are we are told that somehow disability is bad and disability is unusual and disability is not a normal part of the human experience yeah. for me in my line of work and that why I I will keep coming back to this the kind of exclusion of disabled people yeah. within film and TV and kind of more cultural elements of our 
and society generally, that exclusion perpetuates this idea that disabled people are other. Disabled people are a very small minority that we can afford to ignore. And that doesn't actually reflect the reality of the society we live in. Disabled people make up the biggest uh, minority group of, like, and everyone will become disabled. The inevitability of disability within the human experience is such that each and every one of us should care about bad disability representation. Because if you're not affected by it already, you sure will be when you become disabled. So that is ultimately why I kind of, how I've gone from learning about the pervasiveness of bad disability representation and how that attaches itself to the word disabled and how we think about that word disabled. And the more I learned, the more I was like, oh no, I'm very proud of disabled. Yeah. And I'm very proud to um, kind of start to disentangle some of these narratives around dis disability and hopefully I start to create a different narrative that's um, more inclusive and actually more realistic. Yeah, I love that because you're so right about the narrative of disability because when, if and when, so, and what I mean by this is when you're born disabled or acquire a disability at a very young age, you are almost told that disability is not the normal part of the human experience and that you are the odd one out and that you're going to be the one that sits at the back of the classroom or you're going to be the person that has support and it's not going to be the normal. You're going to be the only one that's for you to deal with. But by the way, there's no representation of that. So it all looks doom and gloom. And that's factual because I know a lot of people who've had that experience. I myself have had that experience. So what you said about narrative being so persuasive and pervasive when it comes to disability representation is so key. Because when I think back to my childhood, there was nobody that looked like me on TV or in films. There was nobody like me who was on the radio. There was nobody like me on social media. Social media didn't really exist. But the narrative and, and wanting to show disability representation in, in the right light, and I'm not going to say positive light because I think there's a big difference between representing something positively and representing something authentically and there's also this big issue between and, and I'm sure you're very aware of this as I, I know you will be is that there's a big barrier maybe the right word I'm not too sure when it comes to disability representation and the idea of being so heavily inspirational just for for going about your day-to-day so like, for example, it is not inspirational for a wheelchair user to be sat in the pub. That is not inspirational because they're just an adult going to the pub, which is what everybody else does. But the media traditionally has loved to play that up and been like, oh, my goodness, they're amazing. Oh, my goodness, they have friends. Like, who knew that that could happen? They're just they're just a human being having their experience, which is completely different to, to what average Joe Bloggs is. And I love that you you're kind of reclaiming that and, and taking part of this almost revolution when it comes to TV and the media industry. And I think I think that's so interesting and exciting. It's interesting that you talk about inspiration. Um, 
inspiration porn, which is what it's called in the kind of uh, representation world, for me is just as destructive. Yeah. In in some ways, even more destructive than other than negative other outright ableist negative representations of disabled people. And the reason why I say it's sometimes even more is because people think they're doing the right thing. Yeah. And and then when you go to correct those inspirational narratives, you're somehow as the disabled person, you're somehow the bad guy because they think they're doing <laughs> yeah. the right thing. And then suddenly they're being corrected. And naturally I assume people get defensive because they want to do I don't think people want to do it wrong mm-hmm. but when you then correct what they think is the right thing like I said somehow you're in, you're in the bad guy it's like no we just need to move beyond this kind of simplistic yeah not even really thought about inspirational narrative but it's just they're kind of superhuman which I hate as a passion and the reason why I hate superhuman is because I think it's overcorrecting a representation that we all agree is bad which is a kind of where if you go right back to the start of disability representation the kind of subhuman the kind of lesser human representation of disabled people and somehow we've overcorrected to superhuman, which is again not right. Why can't disabled people just be human? We are neither yeah. human nor superhuman. We are just human. But I think I think the reason why that happens is because disabled people represent um something that humans generally don't like to acknowledge, which is a the vulnerability of the human. We yeah. literally are a physical representation representation that humans have uh, aren't necessarily the kind of yeah like superhero or we have we have vulnerabilities that we can't always control. So I think that's why it happens to disabled people because um we like we kind of quite human centric in our kind of approach to the world. Yeah. And just people like life isn't quite that simple. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think that's why kind of I think that's why and the representation of disabled people is not always human because there's lots of lots of kind of different narratives that we need to actively engage in before we try to mm. correct. I love what you said about superhuman as well, because to be superhuman still implies some element of mutation away from what is like what I refer to consistently as average Joe blogs. And that's still, and you're so right, we've become, we've overcompensated for being like, oh, look at the poor disabled people. Whereas now it's like, oh my God, superhuman. And at some point, that, and at some level, that still implies some form of mutation away from average Joe Bloggs, when actually, we're still the same, things just work a bit differently, we're maybe wired a bit differently, or we're missing, and actually, no, we're not missing anything, because we're freaking perfect the way we are, but there are parts of our body that might not exist, 
and that is just how it is there's nothing superhuman about that but there's also yes it comes with its struggles but there's nothing that's inherently bad about that as as a disability it's not that i'm not i'm arguing with what you just said but i'm gonna question things you just said no i love that because it's um, good to have debate you just said that we're perfect as we are we're all perfect as we are I think that's slightly questionable because I don't think any human is perfect. And we, we've all got physical flaws and we all have our own physical uh, challenges that we all need to overcome. So this idea of the perfect human doesn't exist. There is no perfect There is no kind of... And if we're trying to set up this idea of the perfect human, then A, we're all going to fail, so we're setting ourselves up for failure, mm-hmm. and B, like, who, who is the judge of what is perfect and what isn't? I am. I am the judge. I <laughs> am God. I am joking. I am not that egotistical. <laughs> I think what I mean by, like, the perfect human is that, like, all of our souls whether you believe in a soul or not is it that like your soul is perfect and complete as it is and and we're just in this like physical representation but actually I, I do completely agree with your point in the idea that we can set ourselves up for failure if we have like a perfect image in our brain that we want to attain to so I will agree with you on that so interestingly before we get into what you do I was wondering as a disabled man what was childhood like for you uh, childhood. So I've got an amazing family, which is, I'm, I'm, the older I get, the more I appreciate that. Yeah. Obviously, I was born to two non-disabled parents, mm-hmm. so naturally, they are discovering disability, yeah. uh, kind of alongside my experience as well. Yeah. Which um, is, is interesting because obviously. They've grown up in a kind of world of disability narratives that I now can start to deconstruct. Mm-hmm. So it's not, it's amazing. My parents are amazing. Um, but I guess we all have to kind of start to unpick what we were taught as we were younger. What I'm basically trying to say is, is life is kind of, when you're younger, you can't necessarily articulate it, although I've always, hopefully, touched one, <laughs> been able to <laughs> articulate myself. When you're younger, you have to rely on your parents to articulate your needs a bit more, and that's more difficult when they themselves have grown up in the neighbourhood society. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to say. It's, that's not a critique of my parents. That's just a critique of just naturally. Society. Yeah, you're gonna when you've got two non-disabled parents who have very little experience with disabled people before me, and I'm five years old and I'm trying to tell a doctor that I don't want that. that mm-hmm. Then it's there down to them to try and articulate why. So that was kind of um, my approach to my family. And uh, obviously I went to a um, kind of a quote-unquote mainstream school. Yeah. I was the first disabled person to go to my primary school. And um, that obviously uh, brought with it uh, its challenges. But um, 
I think it went as well as it could have. But obviously, yeah. naturally, there's going to be things that I look back now as an adult and go, hmm, I don't think that was right. Or, um, why was I doing that? Why was I made yeah. to do dog class? Why was yeah. I... And you think, was that inclusion for the sake of inclusion? Well, actually, yes. the, the intent wasn't necessarily the effect. <laughs> this. I... If I could snip anything of what you've just said, what you just said about the intent and the effect is so, so key. Because I think as people who were born disabled or became disabled or acquired their disability young, there's schools, and I've said it before and I'll say it again, schools do not know how to handle disabled children, full stop. You're either wrapped in cotton wool and you're not allowed to do anything or you're a health and safety hazard, so you're not allowed to do anything. Or the other alternative is, is that they fling you into absolutely everything to just say that they've included you, which in and of itself is also problematic. Yeah, and also the departments who deal with disabled people are called the Special Educational Needs Department. Uh, apologies, but why are disabled people's needs special? Yeah, because they're just human needs. Okay. What what's special about the fact that I need I need basically it should be called the accessibility department, which yeah. is everybody has access needs, mm-hmm. not just disabled people. Everybody has access needs. If if the classroom has no lights and nobody can see because it's pitch black, regardless of whether you're disabled or not, that is an access need. Yeah. So it's like, come on, let's let's start to. Yeah, we could do a whole podcast on <laughs> the education system and the many, many flaws of the education system. We could we could talk about GCSEs and what a nightmare that was for me. A levels and university I've just finished. Or who thank the Lord for that. Um, <laughs> um uh, but throughout the throughout the education system it's not it's not designed for disabled people, which yeah. it's badly retrofitted to kind of just pass the kind of basic, or oh, we've included them. Yeah, lit- literally that. It's very, needs are almost met at base level. Needs are not met where they should be. They're met right at the the lower limit of what your needs could be. And you're right, everybody has access needs. It doesn't matter that there's disability involved because absolutely everybody does have access needs and and we really need to rejig and rethink about the scholastic system and actually just institutions in general but again like you said we can have a whole (laughs) different podcast on this topic because there's so much to be said about it so this is where we get this is where we get to the interesting part and I I genuinely can't wait to listen to this because I know what you do (laughs) Some people who have found this podcast will have seen what you do. (laughs) And so talk to me about, firstly, how has your disability, it may or may not have, but I'm pretty pretty certain it probably has, particularly because we've spoken about narratives. How has your disability impacted your career and what you've chosen to go into? So um, I'm an actor. And uh, <laughs> I, I started 
very fortunately for me, I started in the summer of 2020. Now, why was that important? That was important because everything at that point was online. Yeah. And what does that do? That makes it a hell of a lot more accessible to disabled people. Yeah. And the self-taping and Zoom auditions changed everything for our industry. Yeah. And we it's not going anywhere. We will be we will be zooming or what the whatever the equivalent of zooming is in the future and we will be taking forever. Yeah. So for me, I was able to start because I was able to access the actual auditions because if I had to go I mean, I don't know what it was like historically, but beforehand I didn't even consider it as a possibility because you don't know. There's so many different ramifications of accessibility. Mm-hmm. You don't know. You don't know whether whether the building is going to be accessible. You don't know if the room within the building is going to be accessible. There's so many. Yeah. I could go on and on and on, and I won't bore you with, because I'm sure all your uh, audience will be fully aware of different accessibility considerations. Yeah. And so that's why I kind of just didn't didn't think that it was even a possibility for someone like me. But then I started online, got my first job, and then Woo-hoo! got another job, and then got another job, and then uh, it kind of kept going to uh, where I am now, and three years later, where we're just in a slightly different period for our industry, but that's not disability-related per se, but it's um, it's kind of, it is disability-related in terms of a lot of what's being argued about with, like, the actors strike mm. kind of is about accessibility, it is about timing, is in having enough time to do the audition. And mm. there is definitely a disability element, although it's not been called that, which is that we can have another conversation about <laughs> why, why why people don't label uh, access needs as access needs unless mm-hmm. unless they apply to disabled people, which I always find a bit weird. Um but yeah, so that's kind of where I started, and then, then I've kind of got more and more experience, and I've kind of, I do more and more talks on disability representation because that is ultimately why I went into acting in the first place, is because I think film and TV offers a platform to not just educate, but really open up disabled lives to a much wider audience. Yeah. And, um, Kind of really, you get to you get to really um yeah illustrate the challenges we face in a way that an under an audience can understand um and feel safe as well. Because I think I think film and TV yeah. people are kind of window, but ultimately they have they can put pause and come back to it. Whereas if I was going to do a talk to a hundred people have disability. They may feel uncomfortable because I'm pushing, I'm put, I'm challenging their ideas. Or yeah, you know what I mean. So I think, I think both are important, and uh, platforms like yours on this podcast are vitally important as well. Um, because we need, we need disabled discourse discussed in many different forums.
Firstly, thank you for saying that about my podcast. I I love my baby. That's how I view it. I think <laughs> it's important and that's why I do it. Sometimes I think it's utter rubbish, but that's because I am known to chat shit. <laughs> but, but also, that is important. Disabled people should be able to you i will let you yeah i will will let you uh classify however you want to classify your language um but that's important as well disabled people shouldn't just be able to only talk when we have a really pressing articular point to say we should be able to waffle like everyone else (laughs) i honestly think that what you said about almost giving a speech to a room full of people about disability and then being able to see a disability narrative on tv it's actually given me a really interesting way of thinking about this because i think you're absolutely right i think if you can see disability on tv and it being represented and you know we're talking like series films whatever one-off episodes it does give a completely different glimpse into the world of disability than if you you're right if you're to stand in front of a room of 100 people to then talk about the disabled experience because you're right in that room of 100 people you could be making people feel uncomfortable rightly or wrongly it's not it's not for you to say whether you're making people feel uncomfortable and it's also not your responsibility if they are but actually both completely serve a purpose in that one is about viewing the disabled experience and and understanding it on a bit more of an informal level but still having that inside inside knowledge and also it being told very authentically whereas having you know delivering a speech or delivering a keynote speech to like 100 people in the room you you could resonate with maybe five or six but actually the rest of it is going to be a bit different because you know you're that you're that you when you're if you have ever been booked to speak, you know that at some point you have to either deliver like a shock value or like a piece of information that is going to make the crowd feel a certain way. That's that's what speeches are. They're emotive. And actually, both you're completely right. Both have their, their own separate needs, time and space. But for you wanting to go into changing narratives through acting and... And having that discourse being told in an authentic way, I think, is really important because you're right. As disabled people, we should be allowed to just chat rubbish and and we don't always just have to have really articulate things to say because I think a lot of people expect us to have really articulate things to say and sometimes, actually like nine times out of ten, what I say is is, um, rubbish. But actually, I mean that in the best way possible because... Yeah, it's just normal. It's just normal chat, isn't it? It's just that, normal. that too. And I also think I'm incredibly funny. So like, maybe <laughs> I should be a comedian. I <laughs> think, <laughs> again, that's not for me to judge. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, it's important. It's, it's a, like I said, there's a practical element. They do different, they serve different yeah. purposes. I can't speak. I probably could, but it will take ages to speak to millions of people. However, mm-hmm. if I can get it in a TV show, or if I can get it in a film, you can articulate a narrative and you can articulate a story to a lot more people yeah. a lot quicker. Um, so that's I think that's why I'm travelling down the road I want to travel down. If I can yeah. film in TV, 
opens up a window into so many d different people that you just physically can't do in the room. Yeah. So let's talk about the film and TV industry. And and you said that obviously you started in 2020, which meant that access needs were completely different to what they are now. Well, slash, they have developed, but, you know, we're, we're kind of coming back into that face-to-face -face vibe. What has it been like for you working in that environment where it's cameras and lights and and attention on you and and what what is that experience like um uh normally quite warm because i'm quite warm, <laughs> I'm quite warm uh, just on a practical level before we start talking about deeper things uh i'm just on the practical level I'm quite warm. <laughs> i've got my uh ring light on today which i think you can probably see in my glasses but um, it's just I'm yeah. You just get used to basically just sweating your entire life, basically. Yeah. Um, uh, my first job was in London, and my costume was a big thick black jumper, and it was thirty five degrees, and we were in this tiny room, and I remember thinking to myself, because it was my first job, so I was learning. But I was like, I will make sure from now on that I consult the costume department before <laughs> before we start shooting. Uh, if I'm shooting in the summer, I will not be making a jump, a big thick black jumper. So that, that is my practical takeaway: is make sure you wear the right clothing for the season you're working in. <laughs> yeah. Um. But in, in uh, what was it? Uh, is that did that answer the question or? I'm just wondering yeah. what's the experience like working with like cameras and and like how it, for someone who does not work in tv i have no idea how it works so in my head i think it's like super fast paced and and loads of cameras all the time and and people always shouting and loads of coffee being drunk and i think that's purely because i like i'm thinking about movies that i've seen where that's behind the scenes and i was wondering a is that what it's really like and B, in terms of access, what's it been like for you accessing that space? Um, so there's lots we can talk about in that question. <laughs> uh, it's kind of all of the above plus more. Yeah. It can be all of those things. It can be really fast-paced, but it can be, as the actor, a lot of it is waiting around because yeah. you have one angle, they shoot that, so you have to change all the background. You have to change all the lighting, all the get all the people in position, all the directors move around them so they're not in shot. And then you do your bit, and then they shout, shout, shout cut, and then that's yeah, you're kind of redundant, so they ship you off into the green room uh, because you just get in the way otherwise. And then they kind of move all this stuff around. So a lot of it is is them um, waiting around. Uh, which I think people don't realise. It's like a lot of it is, um, yeah. Make sure you bring a book to set because there's a there's a lot of kind of you do your bit and then you're done for a bit and then, yeah. and then so you have to be on it because when somebody spent forty five minutes setting up a camera and then you come on as the actor as you've been sat there doing nothing for forty five minutes if you don't know your lines funnily enough everyone's quite annoyed at you. Because obviously, yeah. even if you've been sat there doing nothing, while they've all been lifting and pulling and thinking about the shot and doing all the hard work. Mm -hmm. So I think 
being on it and kind of mentally, uh, whatever whatever that looks like for you, because everyone has a different process. My process is different from a different actor's process, but um, I guess just being vigilant mentally and kind of not a nightmare to work with because it's really annoying. If you're uh, if you don't know your lines, you have one job and know your lines. So talk to me about the access of of sets and and like just being in that space because I think because it's so wildly out out there compared to like what I do. What what is that experience like? Is the access needs? Is it difficult? Do you have to ask for things in advance? Is it even thought about? Or have you have you always had to educate people on the job as well? So, uh, access, <laughs> access, access requirements. We are, as an industry, mm-hmm. we are just starting that process of yeah. openly talking about access needs. Um, my friend uh, has set up an amazing company called Bridge 06, and I would recommend anyone to check it out, Sarah Johnson. Um, and she is spearheading the drive for things called or people called access coordinators yeah and every set should have an access coordinator from day well not even day one before day one day zero, zero. In, in pre-production all the way through to promotion there should be an access coordinator and um, i would recommend everybody not just actors but just because since i've had it it's Made my life a lot easier. Have you had access riders? No, talk to me about this. So, uh, you may have heard about riders, and a lot of lots of people in the entertainment world have riders, and mm-hmm. some people have all kind of glamorous things like I want M and M's that are just orange or whatever. But an access rider is basically a document with all my access needs. That when I get asked to do a job, my agent sends them my access rider, uh-huh. which is basically a seven page document of everything I'm going to need to do my job properly. Mm-hmm. And it makes my life so much easier because you don't have to ask the same questions over and over again. Like, yeah. how wide is your wheelchair? How tall is your wheelchair? What well, you just send it off and go. Just read that, and then that makes my life a lot easier. So I would recommend anyone with any sort of access need, just write that, and then when you get the same questions, just send it. <laughs> just go, yeah. read this. I think everyone should have that. I don't care what industry you're in. Oh, my gosh, can you I imagine know. what it would be like sending that in with your CV? FYI, these are my access needs. Boom. Exactly. It's just, um, honestly, it's made my life so much easier. It's... Um, just there's all sorts of templates online you can make it you very much personalized mm-hmm. and then it's just like can i have access for my uh, requirements yes you can there you go here's a pdf any questions let me know i never get any questions because the answer all... explanatory yeah. i love that so i think i'm going to make one for myself and take it into work to see what my but also is. It also gives you the power. Yeah. It gives, it gives you the control over what is written. It's not 
you're not answering questions that they said. Mm -hmm. They don't yeah. get to predetermine the questions because that's the other thing with when it's just question driven. Ultimately, they have like unless you force yourself to say, "But you haven't asked about this, or you haven't asked about that, or what about this." Unless you do that, that you're only answering what they ask. Yeah. So it's where you go, there you go, that's my 100% me. You have control over the whole document, not just what they want to know. And then, so it just empowers you as the individual to take control over your access needs. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Oh, love that so much. So, Talk to me about some of the exciting projects that you have been a part of and and potentially what could be coming out. Um, so hopefully by the time that this goes out, <laughs> uh, it will actually be out. I don't actually know at this point of recording when mm-hmm. uh, when uh, one of the shows that I'm in is coming out. But um, we'll start at the start. Uh, mm-hmm. I was in a talk called We're Too Good For This. Uh-huh. Which um was directed by Missy Malik, and uh, I think you've seen that, haven't you? I loved it. I watched it at least three or four times. I think my favorite, th- my favorite thing about actually about the whole the whole short was that disability was it was kind of played upon in a really fun way, but it really got quite a strong point across. Like when she loses, well, when she loses her hearing aid or like when you happen to be having an epileptic fit, there were lots of like little pieces where I was like, as a, as a disabled person, I could completely understand what you were doing. And I found it very, very funny. Whereas I, I, I've actually, I've not actually spoken to someone who's non-disabled about it, but I can imagine they'd be like, what? Like, what? And, you, and But as a disabled person, I was like, no, like that's absolutely something that you would do in that, in that situation. I loved it. Yeah, I think that is short illustrates the importance of having disabled people not just in front of the camera yes but also behind the camera in the production team yeah um, and the kind of executive producer team and kind of disabled people at the top um now i'm gonna get a phrase in that i get into every interview <laughs> uh diversity without disability is not diversity. Yeah, completely. Uh, I Absolutely think agree. The, within our industry, there's a lot of talk of diversity, and it is it drives me up the wall when these people win these awards, often for claims disabled people, and then they talk about diversity and they list off all the characteristics that I 100% believe need to be included. And yet they forget the biggest one. They forget disability. I don't, honestly, it's um, it's amazing how many people still do it. Um, so I think that's what that film I think addresses really well is yeah, it doesn't just show one disabled character. It shows four, and it yeah. shows that there's diversity within disability as well. Because that's another that's another contention I have is. Disabled people aren't just one kind of kind disability of is not a monolith. It's very much an umbrella term for a whole multitude of different things. Exactly. So um, that's I hope and I think 
the success of that film because it did really well. Um, it shows that also there's an audience appetite for yes. <laughs> disabled stories. Um, and yeah, I can't say unfortunately what's going to happen with that, but there's um, exciting things, exciting things on the way. Yeah. <laughs> or it's also it's so fun, like having this inside knowledge of what's potentially going to happen. I feel I know, like so it, powerful. It, <laughs> It is, it is exciting for me particularly because I'm a bit of a um, disability representation nerd. So it's yeah. like, it's nice knowing that there's exciting things coming. And then um, I did a few, I did a few um, adverts and adverts that mm-hmm. we can talk about, adverts that are, I think, the kind of mantra of diversity without disability, not diversity, applies yeah. to adverts as well. And they don't have to be about disability, they can just be. Because they adverts always talk about like getting when it kind of it used to be cast off off the street, so like that the average the average person, whatever whatever that actually means. Yeah. Um but yeah, so we need diverse diversity and disabled people included in the adverts. And then um I did a, a show called uh, Sex Education. I don't know if um just, anyone... just quite a small show. Not. I don't know if anyone's heard of, it, but um, yeah, I've been, I've been a serious thought of that. So that was a surreal experience. I'm mean, only yeah. a very small part. I'm not, a, not. I'm gonna bring myself up too much, but um, I'm also not gonna deny the fact that uh, I was a uh, my yeah, one of my favourite shows that's changed the game in terms of mm. disability representation. Yeah, absolutely. And for such a small, small show, it's mm-hmm. it's made a massive, massive impact. And I think that's one thing that I, I particularly love about that show anyway, um, is that it's its representation is just it's phenomenal, to be quite honest. It's it's almost it's almost got everything. Um and, and I love that. But but also... It's almost got everything, but you you have not seen series four yet. And I think you can, I don't think you can do everything, but yeah. my God, they do a good effort at making sure that it's not just, you're not just ticking a box. I can't wait for you guys to see um what Series 4 has in store because it's um, probably people watching this have already seen it, but um, the, diversity, the diversity is not just a tick box exercise, the diversity. Yeah. It's taken very, very seriously. And um yeah, it's I think there's not there's, I there's no other show. No other yeah. show. No, and I, I you're someone who's worked on that show and I'm someone who avidly watches that show. And I think you're bang on. There's no other show that actually meets it in terms of how it represents diversity. And I I'm so I'm so looking forward to to watching series four, but also I'm so looking forward to being like I know him. Keep <laughs> him for my podcast. Yeah, well, yeah, well, like I said, I'm, I'm fully aware that I'm not a big part, so I don't want. <laughs> I don't, but I do get I do get to I do get scenes with all the kind of people that you would recognise, yeah. and um, everyone was very lovely. So that was nice. <laughs> Do you know what? I love that because I think it's so good when people are like, no, they're genuinely really lovely people. They're not arseholes. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny. Obviously, I'm, 
I I met GT and I was like, oh hi, how are you? Like, hi, how are you? And then we just got on really well. We just talked for like days solid day. yeah. and solid it, it was like it was so surreal because it's just everyone's just normal. And I think that's one thing I wish people would reevaluate about the way they view people in the entertainment industry. Everyone's just human. Like just speak yeah. to people like normal people. And you're going to get so much better response. If you're going up to people like, oh, please, please. I mean, it's just, I understand, I understand it, but also people are human. And I think, I think if you just speak to people normally, you're going to get a normal yeah. response. Yeah. So, you've been in sex education. You've, 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 got, your, you've got yourself, you've got your foot in, in the door in the acting world. Yes. Couple, couple of couple of scenes in sex education. Yep. We met some cool people. What what else is potentially in store? Potentially, yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> well, luckily I know what's coming. Um, so I'm in a show called Kirkwall. Uh huh. You seen the In Between Us? Yes. So it's the same people who made the In Between Us. Yeah. Uh, made Kirkwall, which. I don't know when it's coming out, but hopefully by the time that you're watching this, uh, it'll be out by now. And if, if it is, go and check it out on my player. Um, it's made, yeah, made for the BBC, which again is really exciting, kind of yeah. disability representation on the mainstream kind of platform. Uh, platform. Uh, I play one of the leads. We have three disabled leads, which Lovely. please find me another show that has that. On this scale, I haven't found one, yeah. um, which is really exciting. And uh, it uh, follows a day in the life of their school day, basically. And naturally, because it's a comedy, um, hilarity ensues. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's so well made because it's, um, you really start to, yeah, it starts to disentangle the kind of archetypes of disabled people. Is um yeah, is kind of yeah the baddie is ableism as well. And I think that's very clever. It's uh yeah yeah there isn't really a bad character. They just ableist basically, and they're kind yeah. of and uh, I think that's very very well made. Oh, very well done. And um obviously I shout out to my other lead actors um uh, Fran Mills and Chris Slater who are. Unbelievable! If you haven't, if you don't know their work, go and check out all of us at the National Theatre at home because they were in the National Theatre last year, and they're both amazing actors. Yeah. Um, and it's, I mean, it was slightly surreal actually to see so many disabled people in positions of power because yeah. our director, uh, a part of the disabled community, our writer is disabled, mm-hmm. so like. It's just amazing, and no, you know, like I said, no other show like it. I don't think, and um, I'm excited for people to actually be able to watch it, and um, hopefully not just laugh at it because it is very funny. Um, even if I do say so myself, it's like, <laughs> I, I, I have no responsibility for the script, so I am. Um, I don't, I don't feel uh, yeah, like I'm picking myself up too much because <laughs> I, I didn't write it. I wish I could write it, but. Uh, I didn't write that one. Um, but yeah, it's um, 
Yeah, I, I can't wait for people to see it because it's um very special, very special. Yeah. So, if you excuse the pun, <laughs> I cannot wait to watch it. I I really really can't because I think what you said about there being three disabled leads and then writers being disabled, producers being disabled, there is something very very special about disabled people writing and producing and acting in a way that's super authentic to the disabled experience and and what you said about ableism being like the bad guy and there isn't like necessarily one character that 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 is the encapsulation of it it's just things that happen i think that type of storytelling particularly around disability makes people second second think what they're what they're doing what they're saying And, and that goes back to what you said earlier about how you want to change this narrative and it's very per- persuasive when you're able to do it through that lens and i'm super looking forward to it i'm so looking forward to it it's um it's exciting yeah it's like there's obviously three the no, three of us that are kind of leads but it's all the other characters not all the other characters but all the other students obviously because it's set in a disabled school are disabled as well so it's like yeah it really feels like um I can send it, which what we alluded to earlier, it's not just a tick mock exercise of yeah. we need to get this many disabled people in. It's just their, their characters are just characters who happen to be disabled. Yeah. And I think we can talk about whether or not it should be characters, like whether you should be a disabled character or whether you should be just a character, what kind of the nuances or what what those kind of different connotations are and whether I'm a disabled actor or whether I'm an actor or does yeah. that make a difference. Um which we yeah, I'm not I'm I'm not sure where I am on that. I think I'm I think I'm just a disabled actor. That's what I would say. I wouldn't I wouldn't kind of um I don't say like I'm an actor with a disability mm-hmm. because I'm like I don't I do I much prefer identity identity first language yeah. rather than person first language but I appreciate that every disabled person or person with a disability depending on what they prefer has a choice on whatever they prefer yeah um, on how they identify yeah I I don't say with a disability because where is it I can't I can't pick it up I can't it's not it's like a it's not on me it's not like a bag I can pick up with it's, it just is me. Like, yeah. Me, I can't separate my disability from my my identity. So that's why I'm a disabled actor rather than an actor with a disability. Yeah. And I think that as well in and of itself is a really important point is that everybody has the right to identify however they want. But but what you said about how you can't pick your disability up like it's a bag and you can't put it down like it's a bag. Like and that and that's and it's true because you like I can't suddenly decide one day to put my disability down. I and I also one day can't decide to suddenly pick my disability up. It it's with me 24-7 and it, it's it's something that's always going to be there and it's magically never going to go away and, and like it's never magically going to disappear. So and that, that should, really that really, that really it. resonates with yeah. me. It yeah. It shouldn't you shouldn't be made to feel that your life would be be inherently better without your without your disability. Yes, ex- exactly, exactly that point that life is not disability is inherently not good or bad. It just is. 
it, it's it's just part of the human experience and and we need to kind of move away from this whole idea of disability disability being good or bad but we've actually we've already covered that like we're doing like full circles here. I oh my gosh, like I don't want to I don't want to big myself or yourself up too much but like uh we're clever like intelligent education system didn't stop us did it I know, and I like. I actually like to think I, I am smarter than the average Joe Bloggs who was uh, in the <laughs> education system. It is what it is. <laughs> I like to ask everybody if there's a particular positive trait about themselves that they're really proud of that has really shown up through difficult times, and and what does that look like for you? Um, uh, I think keep going just keep going like just whatever whatever setback it may be just keep going keep laughing laughing is an amazing medicine to so many so many ills in our world um important to laugh at the right things and not not to engage in kind of self-deprecating humor because i think a lot of disabled people feel like they have to laugh at ourselves in order to be heard. So I would, I'd recommend people watch Nanette on Netflix by Honey Gatsby, who very articulately, um, kind of yeah, tells disabled people uh, to stop laughing at ourselves. We are, uh, we shouldn't have to, uh, yeah, minimize our experience to jokes just to. Just to be heard, um, but also on the flip side, if something happens that is not ideal, I think laughing is generally, generally the um, best approach. Yeah. Oh, I love that actually. I think you know, there's a lot to be said about having tenacity, but also being respectful to yourself, because ultimately yeah. that's what it comes down to, isn't it? I think sometimes I think you're right. I think sometimes disabled people do disrespect themselves in order to be heard. And and it's not, it's very subtle disrespect. It's not like out and out blatant and, and super obvious in your face. And, and it's very much to appeal to the ableist eye. And so yeah. I love that because I think there's a lot to be said for actually don't make a joke just to be heard. Say what you need to yeah. say. And if, if people feel uncomfortable about it, let them. Because actually you don't grow unless you become uncomfortable. And that's, that's factual the world over. Yeah, it's not your job to make other... It's not your job to make other people feel comfortable about ableism. It's yes. like, you know, it's, you're not you're not there to sugarcoat the fact that as a disabled person, there are things that can't be changed. But my God, there's a lot of things that can be changed, and it's not your job to go. Oh, if you could please make that accessible, or obviously it always be polite. <laughs> before I get before I get people telling me, uh, yeah, Karen said to be really rude. No, I didn't. I just said you don't have to kind of apologize for asking for access. Yeah, that you don't need to apologize for asking for access. I think is is a super key takeaway there. I. I've only got one more question for you, and I and I'm pretty sure I know the answer to it because I <laughs> I just I just get the right vibe. But I'm gonna ask you anyway, and that is, Caron, 
Are you disabled and proud? I'm very disabled. I'm very proud to be disabled. I just want to say thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast because I cannot wait to see what you do because I think you're going to take this TV and media world by storm and I'm I'm so, so excited to watch your journey because I think everything that you've said has been absolutely key and the way that you've spoken about changing narratives and being part of that change is just it's actually really soul warming because it's so needed and yeah I'm so I'm so excited to see you on tv I'm so excited thank you thank you hopefully um yeah the tides are turning the tides are turning and the new wave of inclusivity that has to save all people at the front and centre is coming. We've just got to work and work and work and work and work. And that's unfortunately, as it is for many uh, industries, what disabled people just have to do. We just have to work a hell of a lot harder <laughs> to get to the same, same place. But we will get there. We will get there. We will. Thank you so much for being a guest. I've loved this and I can't I genuinely can't wait to see what you do. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Disabled and Proud. If you've enjoyed the show, then please give it some love by leaving us a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts. It really helps us to reach more and more people each week. Plus, if you've got a particular highlight, then I'd absolutely love to hear it. Tag me on your Insta stories at Disabled and Proud Podcast.